if there's a patient that's struggling to breathe, like how do we handle the situation? What are a few things that we can do to help them and evaluate them? So we just kind of go over real situations that could happen in the home and then how do we fix it? What do we do? Welcome to the Unforgotten Families podcast, a driver of change powered by Team Select Home Care. This podcast was created to spread awareness, share solutions, and advocate for the needs of medically fragile families and provide these resilient individuals with an action-oriented community of hope, inclusivity, and compassion. It's our hope that the information, resources, and stories we share will inspire and empower you to join us in advocating for these families and help to ensure that they are never forgotten. Hello, Tough Advocates. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unforgotten Families podcast. In this episode, we will sit down with Melissa Malone, the respiratory clinical educator for Team Select Home Care. She brings over 15 years of experience as a respiratory therapist working with medically fragile children, and educating other clinical professionals. She has a wealth of knowledge, and we are very grateful to have her here with us. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Garrett. I just want to say before we start that, you know, what we do, and I can say we because I I used to work in this field that you do for a while. I think we've known each other for almost nine years which is really cool. It's been a while since we've got to actually do things together. So this is full circle. But I wanted to acknowledge that in what we do, it's very emotional. It's very personal. And when that happens, not everyone has the greatest of reputations. But I would say that in all of the homes that I went to and homes that we both worked with, I would say that you have always had a very great reputation and people always had the most amazing things to say about you. So before we even start, I want to say thank you for that. Thank you. And can you just share a little bit about maybe for people that don't fully understand what does a respiratory therapist do in this field when we are talking about medically fragile children? So for home care, there's a few different positions as a respiratory therapist in home care that you can actually do. One of them is working for a DME company. That's a durable medical equipment company. And our responsibility is to train and educate the families while they're still in the hospital before their child or family member would go home. So we educate them on all the equipment, all the supplies. We help facilitate what home is going to look like, right? If, if the diagnosis is new with the patient, it's a whole new world. So that's as a respiratory therapist, we make sure that they know the equipment, supplies, and kind of what to expect when they get home. Then we also follow the families at home and make sure that the bedroom is set up adequately to provide the care. Sometimes they'll have different equipment that they have to take home, depending on the size of the room or what the house setup looks like. So our job as a therapist, we make it low, right? (laughs) We will make it most comfortable as possible with this new equipment in the home. And then also as a therapist, we'll make sure that they have all the proper supplies that they'll need for the equipment and for the use to make sure that they have everything they need. So basically our job as a therapist, we mimic hospital to home to make sure you can provide the best care for the family and make sure that they're trained to take care of the patient. This is the kind of thing that people don't fully get to see. It's like anybody leaving home with a brand new baby for the first time is a little overwhelmed, I think. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to take care of this baby by myself. I can't even imagine going home with a baby on a breathing device. And I can only imagine how important it is that transition. Oh my gosh. 
I have a good memory that I have is there was a NICU baby that was discharging from the hospital. I had actually met the family and the patient in the hospital. Then I was able to meet the family at their house upon discharge. And I'll never forget the image, but it was the mom and the dad and then their baby coming home. Well, the baby was on a ventilator. He was also on oxygen, also on a feeding pump. So I pulled up to the house as soon as they got there. And the image will never leave my mind where they were sitting in the car with the baby in the car seat. And they're like, how do we get out of the car? Right. Because the baby was attached, had all these hose and tubes and everything connected to them. And it was like, how do we do this? Right. When you're in the hospital, you don't get that experience. They don't see firsthand on how you transition from the car into the stroller and get into the house with all the medical equipment. Oh my gosh. I mean, and we haven't even got out of, out of the car yet. Then you're in the home and then I'm sure there's this feeling when you leave for the first time, you're like, I know they can do it and I hope they're going to be okay. I think that goes well into my next question is right now you are the respiratory clinical educator for Team Select Home Care. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and how long you've been with Team Select? Yeah. So I actually started teaching for Team Select about 10 years ago. I think that's the first time me and you kind of had the introduction with each other. There was a director of nursing that had worked for Team Select that had knew me from being out in the community. She asked, hey, can you come into the office and train our nurses on traits and vents? At my previous job and my experience, I was considered a ventilator specialist. So I knew the home vents inside and out. And so I came in for Team Select. I come in once a month, once every three months, and I would train and educate the nurses that they would hire, how to use the equipment, what the supplies were, how to use the supplies. We would go through emergency training scenarios if something were to happen with the patient or the equipment and how to respond in an adequate way. So that's what I currently do for Team Select. It's part of my job. I help train and educate the preceptor nurses that Team Select has. So they, in return, then can go and train the nurses in the field. Or when we do hire any healthcare worker, they'll go through like a vent trait class and we'll make sure that they're trained so they can then take care of these patients and help educate the family on an ongoing basis in the home. We just talked about like how intense this can be. What would you say is the most important part about educating both the clinicians and parents with all of these respiratory complications? Oh, it is extremely important. Especially, I think one of the main goals is to help keep the patient or their family's child home, healthy, happy, right? People thrive in their home environment versus being in a hospital or a long-term care facility. But it is very important because there has been situations that I've come in contact with where a DME company will literally just ship like a suction machine to a patient's home. Well, that's part I consider a life-sustaining piece of equipment. If you have a baby that's not strong enough to cough or they're sick, how do you get the mucus out, right? So if you don't have a suction machine that will help facilitate that, what do you do? So I actually had a family that had to go back to the emergency room with their baby after they just got home because they didn't have the right equipment. They didn't know how to set it up properly. It's very important in home care in the nursing field, right? So we can help train the nurses. We have a simulation lab here at Team Select and we have majority, almost all the equipment that you would see in a home care setting. And we make sure that they get hands-on experience. They can touch it. We educate them on like the common issues that could go wrong, right? Like with the oxygen setup, a suction machine, a pulse oximeter, a ventilator, even if they're missing supplies that are needed 
to take care of them at home. We kind of just help educate them on how to use and troubleshoot all that. So it's super important, right? Because it could help you prevent from making that ER visit that might not be necessary. Absolutely. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in the hospital, essentially the only person that's doing anything respiratory related is the respiratory therapist, which is, I think in home care, it's really the only place where a nurse can actually be involved with that care. That is exactly right. And there are a few exceptions. Sometimes in like a NICU or a PICU in a hospital, the nurses are a little bit cross-trained on suctioning. But again, it depends on the hospital policy. But yes, you're correct. Primarily, it's the respiratory therapist that will come in and manage all respiratory care in the hospital. So those nurses in the hospital, they're, they're not versed on anything respiratory when it comes to that, like how to suction, how to change a tracheostomy tube, how to manage a ventilator, stuff like that. And can you go through, maybe you just laid out a lot of them, but like, can you kind of go through some of the things that a nurse or a parent would go through when they're going through this training? So like I said, we do have simulation lab here at Team Select. It does mimic the most common respiratory items and nursing things. Like we have feeding pumps and they go over wound care and stuff like that. But as far as the respiratory supplies, we will help educate them like the proper placement of a pulse oximeter probe. That's that little sticky thing that you'd wrap on the baby or the patient's finger or their toe and it lights up and it reads their oxygen saturation and their heart rate. And so we kind of go over like, when does that need to be rotated to a new toe or a new finger so you can get the most adequate reading, make sure that the readings that you're seeing are real. Sometimes if somebody has lotion on, it'll pick up a false reading. So we kind of educate them on that type of troubleshooting. We'll also go over signs and symptoms of distress. So we'll go over real things that could happen in the home. If there's a patient that's struggling to breathe, like how do we handle the situation? What are a few things that we can do to help them and evaluate them? So we just kind of go over real situations that could happen in the home. And then how do we fix it? What do we do? And as we both know, there's a new program in Arizona, the Family CNA program. It's called the LHA program there. And I was interested to know, might be the same exact training, but you know how this training integrated into the family CNA program for parents. We have a clinical preceptor who came up with the education materials that the LHAs will go through. The board of nursing put out a guidelines, like you have to make sure that the family CNA is trained on this. So we kind of mimic what we do with our regular LPN and RN in the field. We train the families in a very similar way, might not just go in depth or use all that medical terminology that they might not be familiar with, but they use our simulation lab. We have an RN clinical preceptor who's the same preceptor that trains our clinicians in the field. And also what's unique about the LHA or the family CNA training here is you get that almost one-on-one. The class sizes are pretty small. So if you have any specific questions about your family member or your child that you're going to care for, those can get answered one-on-one specific to your child or your loved one. That's awesome. And as someone that has a very broad experience and 15 years working with medically fragile children, both in the hospital and then doing the DME where you were in families' homes and now being in home care, what is your personal initial feelings when it comes to the family CNA program? Oh, I think this is amazing. And it was a long time coming. Just from my experience of being in patients and families' homes, it's like the families, there always has to be somebody at home with the patient, right? They might have nursing 
right? The child, they might qualify for nursing services at home, but nurses are people too. So they get sick, they go on vacation. And I know once a nurse is in the home, a lot of times this relationship develops where the family's like, I don't want anybody else coming in but my nurse, right? So what happens when the nurse needs to call off or like I said, go on a vacation, then mom's home stuck doing all of the care by herself and it becomes exhausting and tiring. But now I think it's amazing since they are at home that they'll actually benefit and get supplemented for their time. And I would also say from from knowing you in the past too, like you probably had a really inside scoop to what families were actually being provided. Let's say they had 40 hours or 168 hours of nursing. From your experience with the nursing shortage, do you feel like families were receiving all the care that they were supposed to be? No. <laughs> a common thing is, and also too, just with the state, and I'm not sure how all the funding works with the nursing services that the patient receives. I know over the years since I've been doing this, it's like the nursing hours get cut shorter and shorter and shorter. It means that the families do need to step up more, right? Which would mean maybe somebody that used to work full-time can't work full-time because their kid can't just go to a normal daycare. They might have a feeding tube or a trach tube. You can't bring them to just any daycare facility for for them to get care there, right? So someone has to be home watching them. So it's super important. It Hopefully it will allow families to not have to work full-time. Maybe the mom can work part-time. I think it's super important. And I'm glad that this actually got approved and we're utilizing it. You as someone that understands really high acuity care, and there's some states that politicians or somebody is blocking this program from actually happening for whatever reason, what would you say to those types of people about the care these families needs and, and how this program helps? I would say to them that, like I was just saying before, like imagine having a family member or a loved one that is dependent on getting care from somebody and you can't just bring them to a normal daycare or a normal school. With that being said, then who's going to provide the care? Like, yes, there's nursing companies out there. We can help do the best we can. But like I said, there's a huge nursing shortage. I think everybody nationally knows this. So you can't always fill all those shifts. Somebody can't be there full time or fulfill the 40 hours of care that a patient might need. So in return, if the parent can't work full time now, at least they're supplemented a little bit and hopefully able to stay home and take care of their child and keep them safe, hopefully reduce the hospital remission rate because they are home in their own environment. And it'll just allow the families a little bit of extra supplemental help to be able to stay home and take care of their child. And when we think about all the things that we're talking about, whether it's the Family CNA program or this above and beyond training to ensure that both nurses and family members train to their highest ability, we're doing all of this to ensure that these children get the best possible care that they can. So when we talk about the training that you're giving and the Family CNA program, why is it important for them? What makes it really important for these children? Because they're cared by a loved one. I mean, I would see working in a hospital, like you see the type of care, like nurses are busy. We all, I hear that everywhere, right? Like, oh, the ratio is supposed to be one nurse to two patients, but it's one nurse to four patients. So that doesn't change for a pediatric patient necessarily to an adult, especially if you don't have the right staff to staff or the funding to fund having all these nurses working that day. So they don't get that one-on-one personal care. Now, when the patient gets home, I've seen patients at home, they're just thriving, right? They're getting more of that one-on-one attention, that love, that support, everything. You have more people involved in the care and also the continuity of care. 
if you have the same few people constantly taking care of your kid, it's nothing new. It's not uncomfortable. So I feel like they just get more love, support, and patients thrive at home. I love that. I I definitely think the continuity of care is one of the most important things. And we've seen some data that shows that as long as the child has the same person that understands their care, that understands their nuances, that knows how to communicate with a nonverbal child or a verbal child, whatever it is, that continuity of care could be one of the most important things when it comes to keeping them out of the hospital and keeping them healthy. Oh, yeah. I think it's super important. I have another story I'd like to share really quick. There was a patient that I took care of for years and the patient happened to be in like a medical group home. And I would see this patient, gosh, I think for about five or seven years, somewhere around there. And I knew he was nonverbal, but anytime I walked in the room, he'd stare at me, his face, you can just tell he lit up. I talked to him just like a normal teenager. He was around the same age as my son. So I kind of just have a normal conversation with them. And then I remember the day where he actually went back home with his mom and I walked in the room and his face lit up and he was smiling and his eyes got big and the mom looked at me and she started tearing up. And I was, and I, you know, I had a conversation with my patient and then she's like, wow. And I was like, what's wrong? And she goes, you look at him like he's a normal person and he knows you. And I just witnessed him and his expression. Like he just lit up. Right. So it's this continuity of care. I saw him for years and he knew exactly who I was. And not just, I don't know, that's like passionate. I love what I do for situations and stories like that. I love that. And I could just see it even in your face. Like you are lighting up as you tell the story. And it actually made me think, what do you, what do you love most about what you do? I absolutely love home care for that reason. I love the continuity of care. I mean, I have a gazillion stories that I can tell that make me feel so passionate and like keep me passionate about doing home care for this type of patient. I even had a little girl I took home when she was six months old from the hospital. I followed her for 10 years up until I came to team slot full time, but I would see her every single month, just seeing her birthdays and like all the milestones that she met. And like, I was a part of that. I helped empower her mom and the patient. Right. And she was like a normal functioning person of society. She went to school, she walked, she talked. So it's just amazing to watch that continuity of care and like how you can have an impact on making their lives better and more manageable. It is really cool to think about like you in a way, and I'm sure you don't even realize or know the ripples that you've had where you are teaching people how to save lives. And I'm sure that you've saved lives and you're also preventing lives from needing to be saved because of the training that you're going. So I I just want to say thank you for all of that and for all that you do. The last question I would have is a question that we ask everyone here because what we're doing here is advocating and being champions for medically fragile families. And I would just love to know from your perspective, what does advocacy mean to you? Advocacy to me, it means just being an advocate and getting the word out. I think before I got into this field, I didn't know what really special needs was or what it looked like, or you don't really see many kids who want to title special needs like out in the community that frequently. I still get asked that question right now when I teach, even from nurses, they're like, are there really people on ventilators at home? I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, there's so many out there. And like, people just don't know, even in the healthcare field. You'd be very surprised too, nurses that work in the hospital. I've had experience, they didn't know that a patient could get discharged from a hospital on a ventilator. 
So that's just shocking. And that was like two years ago. People are, I think, unaware. So advocacy, I think, is getting the word out and letting people know that there's a huge need and there is a huge patient population of people and families that need service like the LHA program. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I feel like if people saw what some of these homes look like, and when I say homes, I mean like walking into someone's house and right when you walk in, the whole living room is essentially an ICU. And I think if people knew that and saw that, it would totally change people's perspective. I know it changed me. The the amount of compassion and understanding that I gained through that process, I'll never be able to put a value to that in my life. So thank you again. And I I would just like to give you one more space just to share anything that you feel needs to be shared while we're here together. Anything that you feel called to share? Uh, No, I just love that this program is out there and it's available for families. I hope that in the community it's talked about and people are aware of it and they sign up and they're not scared to sign up. I just think it's going to have a huge impact in our community and it's very beneficial People don't really know the struggles that these families deal with besides having a family member that might be ill or sick. And maybe it's a lifetime, long-term diagnosis. Maybe they will get better and progress. But these families, they fight every single day. They have to fight for nursing sometimes. They have to fight for supplies. They have to constantly follow up with physicians. So I feel like even just having this program in place and talked about and the more people that we can reach, it's just going to help all around and kind of give a mental stress relief, I guess, or a little bit break to these families that have so much weight on their shoulders right now. Thank you so much. One more time. Thank you for your advocacy and just knowing you personally. Thank you for being such a safe space for the families to connect with and to be there for them. And thank you for your ripples. I'm sure you don't even know the lives that you've saved or lives that you've protected that didn't need to be saved because of all the training that you've done. And I know that the world is a such a better place because you are in it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Unforgotten Families podcast, a driver for change powered by Team Select Home Care. Be sure to follow us on our social media channels at the Unforgotten Families on Facebook and Instagram as we continue to spread awareness, share solutions, and advocate for the needs of medically fragile families. We will see you on the next episode.